Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remixed, Season 4, Episode 4, Refugees. As always, I'm joined by one, Robert Sapp. How you doing, Mr. Sapp? Oh, doing very well, and a very happy MLK Day to you. Uh, yeah, same to you, and yes, it is MLK Day. Um, uh, a couple, I, you know, I was thinking about that, uh, couple of recommendations uh, for MLK Day in terms of visuals, watching, or even uh, listening or reading. Uh, HBO has a uh, a show or a documentary called King in the Wilderness that came out about three years ago that depicted him. Really, so the reason why he got why he killed um, not only the, you know the fight for equal rights and things like that, things of that nature, but the real reason why he was killed for when he started talking about economic empowerment. So it kind of gives that uh, if that uh, tells the story when you know when he was in Chicago and they uh, which in lot you know lot of Jesse Jackson as well. Uh, so that I definitely would recommend that called King in the Wilderness uh, on HBO HBO Max. One of those. It'd be his on either. It's on either one. Probably, probably HBO Max because it shipped all their, all their main, all their programming things like that to HBO Max. So, so something you can just uh, check out, or or you can watch a movie. And I haven't seen it. Oh, I haven't seen this one in a while. King, of course, with um, played by I forgot the, actor, the actor's name. Mark King, the biography. Um, damn, he he passed away a few years ago. Uh, but look, kind of, you know, they, they did a, a doc, a biography. So uh, those are two recommendations uh, that you can. Um, that's Paul Winfield. Paul Winfield. Yeah, Paul uh, Wolf. Paul Wolf. So a couple of recommendations on this MLK day. Uh, this episode uh, was directed by Jim McKay. It ranked 48th all time by Vulture. And you had an epigraph. No one wins. One side just loses more slowly. That's one by one. Prez uh, Belinsky. So, no one wins. One side just loses more slowly. Um, the themes. I just had one theme. And uh, it was a thing that stuck out, you know, that really you could... We talk about this through the course of a lot of these episodes, but it was a course. We'll talk. We'll jump into this. Uh, we'll jump into this where Marlo says you want it to be one way, but it's the other. So I had that as a uh, as a theme. So opening scene, Marlo. Marlo loses an all night poker game. Uh, to some older player, older poker players, um, you know, he may be the he may be the king of king of West Baltimore as far as the drug scene, but when it comes to poker, just another player who got beat by some older players who were clearly more seasoned. So, uh, Marlo learning a lesson from that standpoint, uh, as he was winning, and then you know. Well, thought he was winning. He had, you know, had built up a, uh, a nice little nest egg of poker, of chips, and then you know the old head just you know, away from him. 
kind of, you know, you kind of got the sense that they were, that that the old head was kind of, and you played poker that it was kind of like he thought he was winning, but he really never, had, he really never had had a chance in this particular game. Um, um, he goes to a local, he leaves, so he leaves an all night poker game. He goes to a local uh, corner store, and he gets confronted uh, by a security guard after uh, stealing some body pops. And then, of course, he says to the, to the security guard, you want it to be one way, but it's the other before Chris comes and picks him up. Now, the confrontation by the, with the security guard, uh, security guard did nothing wrong, by the way. Security guard was just actually doing his job. <laughs> Marlo walks in the store, security guard, uh, you know, just doesn't so much stare at him, but just, you know, just does what a security guard would do. Somebody walking in, walks in the door, walks in the store, and Marlo makes eye contact with the security guard, and then he proceeds to take the lollipops as to just tease, as basically to taunt security guard and saying, in terms of, like, I dare you say something. And the security guard, he, as soon as Marlo walks out, the security guard reluctantly goes outside, and that's when they get into the verbal exchange. Um, and then, of course, we see Chris pull up in concern, uh, concern after he catches the end of the uh, exchange between Marlo and the security guard. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I mean, I think I think a couple of things um, come to my mind when I when I think about this scene. One is um, the the poker game itself means something more right and so like two two important things about about that game and what's going on one everybody there is is a drug dealer right like that that is that's one of those games where yes. Yes. where everybody like it's one of those protected games that's that's the a big stakes, point high stakes games. Um, it's a big time game yeah like, but it's also yeah there are plenty of high stakes games that don't involve drug dealers um, this this one is an all drug dealer game. Everybody there was um, somewhere and involved in 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 cr- in criminal activities or, or or knew each other. That that's just that's just kind of like point number one. So it's like it's showing Marlowe's making a step up in weight class in terms of the the company that that he he keeps um, in in that in that air in that arena. Um, number number two. Um, the, the incident with the guard is kind of like it, it, I, I love it because it brings up my point about how the wire is now way more than a procedural is now like, uh, it's now like a fantastic show. And the way that you know, that is the speech that the guard gives to, to, um, to Marlo is not something a guard would ever say. Like, that's not a thing. So I follow you out and I have a whole deep speech about, you know, seeing me as a human being. Um, that was for the audience. That's for the greater narrative of the show. And that's where this show is right now, which is why I keep saying, like, this is bigger. It's just bigger now. They know it's bigger. They're writing it bigger. They're writing it with more meaning. They're writing it with everything. So it's like this is this is now not just me digging too deep. This is specifically what the show is now and what it wants you to get out of it now. They, it wants you to get all the deep meanings. That's what, that's what it's about. So anyways, I wanted to point that out. Um, and then the third thing that I'll go to is um, 
you know, the epigraph of the show is whatever it is. It doesn't even matter. There are two sayings in the wire that I use all the time. One is I'm giving a fuck when it's nobody's turn and or when it's not your turn. Um, and then the second is this one. Um, uh, you want it to be one way, but it's the other way, but it's the other. Um, I love it. I love it saying I've always loved it. I think it's great. I think it's one of the best sayings I've ever heard. Um, every single time, I think it should be the epigraph. I think th it says everything about what this series is. It's not in there for a mistake. It's not a mistake that Marlo is saying that all the different, all the different things that's going on in terms of phraseology. It's probably Omar saying and this one that are, that are kind of like the, the top, the top, the top dogs in there. Um, and so that's what I had to say. Yeah, uh, so we, we knew, and even watching it the first time we saw this, we knew that this, this security guard sealed his fate by stepping to Marlowe. I, uh, so, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll flush it out when, um, we'll flush this out later, a little bit later when Chris and uh, Snoop, you know, talk about, talk about the uh, security guard. But to me, I, I look at this, as similar to way to the way you looked at uh, Omar last week, in terms of you mentioned that it was beginning some of the beginning of his slippage. I think that now that watching this scene and watching this years later, I, I think that I I can make a case that this was the beginning of uh, Marlowe's slippage in terms of how he handled the situation with the security guard. Uh, now that now that I'm watching this, watch this again um, years later. Um, but you know, we'll have plenty of time to bust uh, that out. Um, we go to Cuddy, Naaman, Mike, Dookie, and Randy. They are at the gym with Cuddy. Uh, Cuddy is waiting for Spider. Um, Spider hasn't showed up. Remember, Spider was one of his top motorways. Maybe I think his. his I think his. Uh, I think his top welterweight, not one of, but maybe definitely his top welterweight. Of course, he has not showed up. We will find out why Spider has not showed up. Uh, it's a very, uh, he's, he has reason not to show up. Um, so he's waiting for Spider. And uh, Michael wants to get into the ring. Um, so he says, he says, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, show you as painfully, not painfully, but as painless as possible what you don't know. So he gets Michael in the ring. They are discussing what transpired, of course, at the end of the last episode with the girl, Leticia, uh, slice, you know, slicing the other girl's face. So they're talking about that. You see, uh, and you, you, you're constantly going to see, you're going to see this a lot in the season. You see Naaman picking on Dookie. And Michael basically, you know, coming to Dookie's rescue as far as saying basically, you know, leave alone and uh, calling Naaman out for, you know, just basically shit talking. Uh, they also give a little bit of the girls who, who uh, the girl who did the slicing, Leticia, give her some of her background as far as being in a group home and talked about her parents, her dad, you know, Allegedly, and these are all these are all tall tales. Not the group home part, but the fact that her dad uh, had allegedly had had shot a couple cops or did something, or beat up three cops, something like that. So they kind of you know ran wild with that story. Uh, so you know some of that, and then of course the deacon comes by later on in the scene and gives 
some information on a job uh, down at uh, down at the middle school that they that ironically that the kids go to the Don Tillman Middle School. Uh, what were your thoughts on on this uh, particular scene? Yeah, I mean the scene is mostly set up, and I say set up in a way uh, it does it doesn't illuminate anything new about the characters. It's just kind of like reaffirming like the the traits, like just hitting us with it over and over again, so that that we know which character exhibits which which trait with the boys. Um, the only new piece of information you named it was about the girl and her circumstance, which speaks to the overall kind of like um, uh, uh, conceit of the of the show, like what what it's trying to say about um, the students and their lives and how that plays a part and how they behave. And yeah, yeah, it was definitely a lot, a lot of set up, set up, and especially, especially in, in regards to uh, what we're trying, uh, Spider and also Michael, and how Cuddy is in the is is, is in the middle uh, of those two uh, from that standpoint. Certain, so we'll, we'll we'll see, so we'll see how that plays out over the course of the uh, of the episode and of the season. Um, we go to the Preds. Uh, he's at home. Uh, he's at home with his wife, watching a game or semi semi watching a football game. He's mostly focused on taking notes on what transpired in his classroom. Of course, with the, with the uh, with the incident uh, between the two between the two young ladies, and taking basically taking notes on what he what he wants to discuss with the class. Uh, his wife wants to go out. You know, wants wants her to take a walk. He says, "I got." He says, "I can't right now. I gotta discuss." Well, I had to. Uh, we're gonna have to discuss this. I'm gonna discuss this with the class. Um, and then, of course, she says the epigraph as she says as she asked him who was winning the uh, football game. And he says, "Of course, no one, no one wins. One side just loses more uh, slowly." Um, and I have a question for you after you give your. Uh, Talk about the scene. What what were your thoughts on this? Oh, scene? this is then you can ask the question because all I was gonna say is this is just set up. This is about um Prez's anxiety, part of his personality. So in your years of teaching, have you ever had a situation, and you don't have to get a situation, but have you ever had a situation where you had to Yeah, of course, all and, the time. Yes. Um, yeah. Do, do what do what Prez was doing in terms of time, you know, try in terms of discuss, in terms of like trying to break. You, got, you have to remember that Prez is new. Like everything he's experiencing, he's experiencing for the first time. So um if you're asking me when I was brand new, did I write things down that I thought I was going to that I thought I was gonna miss? Then the answer to that is yes. I used to script my lessons ahead of time and then I would save them in the mirror. So that I knew I was hitting like all of the different points. I get I get that level of preparation. I do. No, I mean I, I don't even talk about, I'm not even talking about a lesson, but from a standpoint of you've been in a situation where it was like it was amazing. Yeah, no, no, I said that. I said yes okay. to that yeah. all the time. Yeah. I said yes and all the time. Okay. 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 So yeah, um, so you see Prez doing that. Um, we move on to Kima and Landsman. Uh, Kima is, of course, out, you know, got, got her way, got, got out of the MCU, uh, major crimes. She now is, she now is a member of the Western District Homicide Unit. 
Um, and she sees, she's welcomed by, of course, one Sergeant Landsman. And she sees Bunk interviewing a witness about Fruit's murder. And then they, then the hazing that would, that, that took place throughout the course of this episode, the hazing begins. She gets a call. <laughs> she gets a, she gets a, uh, a note in her mailbox about methane probes. And then she calls the uh, Baltimore County Zoo and realizes a prank and you see Bunk and, and Lansman and uh, uh, Freeman were all in on it. Uh, and, then, and by the way, they uh, did a great job of, of playing it off. Uh, when, you, when I first saw the scene, I was like, you know, what's going on? Um, and uh, Especially Freeman. Freeman did definitely did a, a great job um, of, of, of playing it serious without, you know, smiling or giving, giving it away. So this is the beginning, you know, this is her um, being treated like as a rookie, even though she's not a rookie, you know, she's uh, back in, you know, she's in the homicide, she's new to that, to that particular unit, so mm, she's a rookie. Okay. She's a rookie in that yeah. unit, she's not a rookie as a cop. That's yeah. What I'm yeah, yeah. Uh, but but okay. she is yeah. she is a rookie to that unit, so um, mm-hmm. they, you know, this is that, you know, rookie hazing that we see throughout the course of life and sports and, and what have you, and she uh, gets that and got it throughout the course of this episode. Um, what, what were your thoughts? Set up. Uh, so we go to Marlo, Andre, and Chris. Andre, of course, uh, owes Marlo some money. He's also making uh, describing what happened with Omar. Because um, he got, of course, he got robbed by Omar in the previous episode. Um, as Chris and Marlo, you know, listen to this, uh, Marlo really isn't going for any of this as when, when Marlo, when Andre starts talking about the global economy and, and all this, and, you know, Marlo's like, look, just pay me what you owe, uh, pay me what you owe, oh, you know, Marlo, uh, Omar's just another nigga with a gun, you just another nigga that got your shit took, and we begin to see the, the, uh, Transformation, not transformation, but we begin to see he takes his ring, nice ring, and we begin to see the journey of this particular ring. Uh, as Andre, you know, Marlo takes it, uh, Marlo takes it from Andre, and then you see Chris and Marlo discuss uh, the poker game, and Marlo tells him that he's going to need one hundred fifty thousand dollars. For the next uh for the next game, which Chris didn't seem pleased by. Chris kind of seemed annoyed by that amount of money on a spending that amount of money on a poker game. Um uh what were your thoughts on uh this scene and the, the interaction with Andre and the ring and uh and the ring as well? Yeah, this is this is mostly set up. I mean, in the same, I'm a, I'm gonna circle back to the last scene as well, just really quickly that that I said was set up, and so I don't want it to be uh, misconstrued because again, like I said, season four is doing something a little bit different than any other season um, before it, and so um, like when I say set up, what I mean is 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 establishing reestablishing character traits, like just just reestablishing those for us, and this this scene is is doing that as well. But I did want to point out the writing in both of these scenes. And again, just like I said in that initial, um, in that initial scene, what I appreciate about what I'm noticing about where the writing is going 
at this point in time is that um, now the side characters are giving or getting more dialogue, which what that says to me is that the writers are having more confidence in their ability to write, to to write dialogue. Um, And so, right, like when we think about dialogue, right, there's the way that real people talk, me and you talk on a daily, like, for example, me and you talk about work on a daily basis, right? That's how real people talk versus dialogue in a movie, play, you know, television show, which needs to mimic how real people talk, but have a certain cadence to it, a certain rhythm, a certain musicality. Um, Aaron Sorkin, who wrote The West Wing, who wrote A Few Good Men and a lot of different other things, talks about this. Um, in terms about the way that he writes, he akins it to a musical instrument. Like you're listening to music as you're listening to people talk. And that's what you're kind of looking for. And that's where I'm sensing the writers um, getting more and more confident in, in terms of the way in which they write scenes and the way in which they, I mean, the way in which they set up scenes, but in, in particular, the way in which they write the dialogue for each of the characters say there is a rhythm to it. So they and and as they get more confident in this ability, they are expanding it beyond the main characters to others to, to other what you would call side characters. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. And you know, makes perfect sense perfect sense. And of course we will see definitely more of uh one old face uh old face Andre. Um we go to Burrell, Rawls and Forrester. Uh Burrell forces uh, Colonel Forrester to take uh, Norris off the case of of the dead witness that was killed and um, forces him to take him off him off the case and and put uh, and and put and to put Kima on the case. Of course, Forrester is basically like, you know, what, you know, what, what's going on here from the standpoint of Norris is a veteran cop. Kima is, you know, a rookie in this in this unit. And Rawls gives him basically a signal, a head nod or a head shake, like don't even think about trying to fight this. Basically, it's like just go with it. Kind of gives him that type of signal. So this is going to be a major, major uh, plot point that will have just some extreme, extreme ramifications throughout the course of this season. Uh, what were your thoughts on on this uh, particular scene? Yeah, you named it. No reason, no reason to go any deeper than that. We go to Sherrod and Bubbles. So Sherrod, uh, Bubbles forces Sherrod to go to school. Um, Sherrod has not been in school for three years. He's forced to start in eighth grade. Um, of course, and the vice principal explains to Bubbles. Uh, about social, about the you know, kind of gives him a cr- little a crash course on social promotion. Says you know he cannot you know start with a, start back in fifth grade because you know his because of his age and you know because of the fact that uh, wouldn't it wouldn't be deemed to be fair for uh, some of these some of the younger students being to be in a class with older kids. Uh, of course, we know what the writers are, are trying to say about the system. And and also, and you know, to your point from last episode, when uh, we are keeping a eye, close eye on on Sherrod and what you know his journey as we we get more background information on him, like for 
for him to be now of school for three years, unless you unless you know all you need to know about what you know what his life has been like. I mean, the kid, the kid has he's been out of school for three years. Think about that. Think about that for a second. Three years he has not been in school. Uh, so he is definitely uh, along with these other four, but he is definitely without question a a, a tragic figure. Uh, to say at least, um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would, I would say it's actually the show is arguing the opposite. It's arguing that it's actually very easy for a kid to be gone for three years and nobody noticed. I think that's what they're, that's what they're saying. I think what you're alluding to is no, what, what we know, no child wants that for themselves. And so right. what right. the show has been doing is illuminating what, what uh, factors lead up to something like that, to a loss of years like that, to a child being out of the da 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 yada yada, all that stuff. Um, yep. We get to uh, Ross and Forrester, they're in the elevator and they briefly are discussing Norris being taken off the case. Ross says, of course, he doesn't agree with it, but it's the, it's, of course, it's Burrell's call. Um, and, you know, so you see, so that we get some breadcrumbs from, some, we get some, some beginning breadcrumbs of Ross, um, you know, not on the same page as uh, Urban Burrell. I think that the scene kind of gave us kind of just kind of the beginnings uh, of that uh, dynamic moving forward. Uh, quick scene, but what were your thoughts? Yeah, set up. Uh, Prez uh, in the classroom, Prez with the class, and of course, Sherrod. So Sherrod makes his you know first appearance in class in three years. He's in the same class with Randy, Michael, and uh, Naaman, and, 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 and all some, some of the other kids uh, as well. Um, so Prez is trying to discuss what transpired in the last episode with the girls. And, uh, of course, you know, kids being kids, uh, especially Naaman, uh, Naaman, you know, tries to be the class clown, says something and the class responds to it. Uh, during that, during this conversation, they also find out or it's find out that Prez was a former, was a cop. And through the ruckus that Naaman jumps out of his seat, said, you know, did you ever shoot somebody? And then jumps out of his seat as he, if he were got, if, uh, like he got shot, just playing around. And through the ruckus, we see Randy and Sherrod both uh, leave the classroom. Sherrod, no, wasn't in the classroom for a cup of coffee and uh, leaves the classroom through the ruckus. Prez, at the end of the uh, scene, see Sherrod out the window, looks out the window to see Sherrod um, leaving and uh, just goes back to uh, teaching. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? I want to connect the scene when we get to um, where the lady goes, um, they're processing. I know it doesn't seem like they are. So whenever we get to that one, I want to connect that this scene with that. So we go to uh, Chris and Snoop. So as expected, uh, they've been assigned to take out the security guard. Um, they kind of scope him out. Uh, they, uh, Chris 
says, you know, he's just a regular security guard. Um, and he, Snoop says, you know, why are we killing him again? And he said, you know, Chris gives the reason, you know, he talked back and, you know, Snoop just nods her head. Uh, quick scene, but, you know, what were your thoughts on, on this scene? Shut up. Well, we go to Chris, Snoop, and Bodie. Um, of course, we, in the last previous episode, Bode, Bodie was given basically an ultimatum to take Marlo's package. Uh, and he has no, basically has no choice but to take Marlo's package or step off. He chooses to take the package. Uh, chooses to take the package. And uh, Chris asked, so he takes the package and then Chris asks about Michael. And then you hear, you know, you hear Bodie respond. And this is, I think this is very underrated part of this scene that I kind of miss through, through uh, a lot of viewings. But Chris says, um, Marlon, no, not Marlon. Bodie says, you know, why, you know, why are you asking about him? And Chris says, never, never mind why. Why ain't in your repertoire no more, nigga? So, and the reason I bring up that part is it just is it just lets you know that it gives even though he's working for Marlo now uh, in terms of Bodie, he, he like he has he basically there's no respect there. It, it, he's basically at the bottom of the totem pole if in terms of the, the in terms of the standstill organization versus where he was one he was at when he was with a, when he was uh with the Barksdale organization. Um so it's basically no respect. They basically have no respect uh of him whatsoever. So that's why I bring that that part uh up bring that part up when Chris just completely completely dismisses him. Um what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I, I would argue two things. Um, one is Bodie doesn't work for them. He's just taking their package. That's two different things. Um, and then I think second is, I don't know if there's such a thing as a Stanford organization. I think to your point in terms of the slippage um, that you're starting to see, I think there's a difference between being fierce and being organized. I think Marlo's fierce. I don't know if he's necessarily organized. As a matter of fact, I know he's not organized um, in, in that sense. He has no interest in being. Um, and then, and then again, yeah, 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 yeah. Bodie's just that Marlo forced him to take the package, which is why he makes that joke at the very beginning of it. Like I told so-and-so to shoot both of y'all right. in the head, but seeing yeah. as he's gone, um, you know, so anyways, there, he's not, he's not part there. He's not part of their organization, and then I would further argue there is no organization, honestly, to speak of. Yeah, I mean, I, I know, what you, I feel, I, I know, what you, I feel like I, I know what you're saying, but um, I, I think that part, that last part, was uh, important. I, I think that last part when Chris kind of dismisses him uh, uh, was was important. It was something that stood out now. More so than it didn't say past viewings that I, I watched this particular scene, but I, yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, no, I wasn't saying I wasn't even responding to the Chris anything like that. That those two things can be true, like what you're saying about Chris. I'm just talking about the like for like like the like Bodie isn't part of their organization. He just isn't. He's not there. 
you know, like that, that was, that's that piece. Like that's the part of it. Marlo's pushing people out. That was the whole thing in the beginning. You can't talk that no all product, no territory when somebody's snatching up all the territory. That's what Marlo's doing. He's snatching up the territory and he's making people take his package, not, not expanding his rank. Like that's not part of what he's doing. Right. So that then leads me into like, there, there's not a Stanfield organization. Like he's fierce. He wants to have soldiers with him. Absolutely. for when he goes to battle, but that doesn't make it a well organization because what the Barksdale, what those criminal organizations are part are trying to do is simulate um, the uh, 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 corporate structure. And that's what, you know, those lines, that's why all those lines, Marlo's talking about, yo, fuck your Dow Jones, da da da. He's not interested in all that. No. He no. says it. He's not interested want, in yes, those things. So to, that, you, that's my point. It yeah, had no, nothing no, to do with it. Right. No, that makes me and, so And Bodie. Yes, you're absolutely right. Marlo is not inter- interested in that from that in that business model. Henceforth, you want it to be one way, but it's the other. So the show with Marlo is trying is 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 fiercely explaining that Marlo is a new breed is the new breed of uh, of criminal. Um, he's, I, not, I, he's not Avon. He's go not, ahead. No, he's not Avon. He's not. He's not Prop Joe. He is the. He is the new. He's a new breed of of of, a, of criminal, uh, in comparison to uh, the drug kingpins that we've seen prior, in particular Avon, and Prop Joe. He's not like them. He's just not. Um, so I think the show is trying to send a message with him in terms of how he how he moves in the world. Um, yeah, you were going. Go ahead. Nope. So we go to uh, we go to Randy. Uh, Randy gets caught. Um, <laughs> you know, it was it was good while it lasted. He finally gets caught by a teacher in sixth uh, in the sixth grade sixth grade lunch selling candy. She says, uh, "If just she says I she says I know that time doesn't stand still because I had you guys two years ago. You and the other that means means that you and the other knuckleheads would uh, still be." You know, in my class, and time doesn't stand still. Basically, so he gets caught by her, uh, gets caught by her in the lunchroom, and uh, I'm sure we. And you know, it. It's like it's like when you catch a student doing something. Um. It. I won't say a, I won't call it a, a sense of uh, a proud feeling, but I call it, it. It you do feel like yeah, I got you. Yep. Let's go. I got you. And that that she kind of like he was he he tried to like you know he tried to like worm his way out of it, but he it, it was you know he, he knew he was uh he knew there was nothing that he could say, and she basically you know had him gave him this look like yeah let's you know come on like where like what are you doing here uh what this is a quick scene. What were your thoughts? Yeah, set up. Uh, we go to Cuddy, Donnelly, and Randy. So. Cuddy, Cuddy's new gig. Uh, Donald's explaining to Cuddy the new gig in terms of pick, in terms of picking up kids outside of school, um, uh, skipping school, picking in terms of that. She explains him a new job about the job, um, and she says, uh, you know, we haven't been. She says we haven't been funded for truancy in I don't know how many years. 
Uh, she, she jokes and says, what do you think this is, Montgomery County? Assuming, and we're going to assume that Montgomery County has funds, has money. That's, that's the interpretation that I took. Um, also, she, she uh, Randy comes in, having been caught skipping class, and this is where it gets, it got kind of, uh, this is where I kind of got annoyed. So she, she's a vice principal. Randy's been caught skipping class, and she tries to basically, I, I'm just calling it what it is. She basically blackmails. She basically blackmails Randy into telling on other kids, threatening him, threatening to call his foster mom. Uh, and he, you know, you know, Cuddy is, and throughout this whole scene, the funny part throughout the scene is Cuddy's like, don't, don't, don't say it, don't do it. Basically shaking his head, telling him not to snitch, sending him a signal, shaking his head. But of course, we find out that Randy does indeed snitch. Uh, as an administrator, did you have a problem with her tactics? No, not at all. Um, that, so, uh, so, but this is, this is the scene. Wait, did, oh. I didn't know if you queued it up for me. No, I did not have a problem with her tactic. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I'm done. Oh, okay. About the whole scene? Yeah. I'm done. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this is this is where I want this is where I want to get to. Uh wait, are we there yet? No, where, is this the scene where she says? Um No, she's not. No, this might not be the scene. No, 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 no. We're not there yet. Yeah, yeah, nah, no, we're not there. We're not there yet. Yeah. She's explaining yeah, 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 about yeah. the job, about the new yeah. job. Yeah, yeah, about the about the about the truancy job. So, um, yeah. So, each each statement, each big uh uh inter each big thing that they name from the school system is a is a big is a they're they're calling it out. Um, as we know, Ed Burns was a cop who went to to be a teacher. Who's now, um, uh, or who's not, at this point in time, is a is a writer and producer and creator of the show, and so he has a lot to say about about these things. And so, of course, two things that he's pointed out in this episode that um, that he sees as a huge problem, especially at that time or at the time he taught in the city, is a the social promotion and then b um, the truancy issues. Um, those are two things that that he's calling out in in in, in those in, in two issues he's calling out. And so, um, in this particular scene, what they're doing is they're beginning they're at the beginning point of bringing up the truancy as like an issue. Why does you not have a problem with her tactics uh, in regards to Randy? Because, well, don't see if you're gonna make me do this, then we'll then I'll for real do it. Um, because I was gonna say, don't do that. We all do that. Like, if we're gonna be real, let's be real. We can't, we can't be like want to swing in as like the like the amazing educators at one point in time and then not be amazing educators. A, it's not a tactic, it is, it is, it is as simple as simple is. It's what we all do as adults with kids in general what educators do with there, right? Like, it's like you were doing something wrong. You skipped class, wrote your own pass, switched uniforms in order to sell candy at school. So you did all those things wrong. Right. Right. 
And so the lesson that we always are go in with the kids is um, you may not want the benefit of the doubt after you've getting done something wrong. And so the point that she's trying to make, obviously, is um, you could have been out here in these streets doing anything wrong. If you are not where you're supposed to be, who's to say you're not out here? scratching up things, doing like da-da-da, everything like that all. Now, that's what it looks like and sounds like in the real-life scenario. The wire's a show, and so this also needs to go somewhere. And so we know, we know where this is headed. So they needed to write that part in, but the base bottom line of it is the, is the lesson and the thing that is in every, baked into every single conversation that we're having that we're having with the kids um, is to do that. Now, if you if you now nah, I'll take it personally. That's the overarching thing. I'll take it personally. I'll take it well, as the work that I did when I was at Hayes too. I'll put I'll put it I'll put it right out there. Um, you know, this is not a big it's not a big thing, but if if, if one, if I if if I'm going to be uh, uh investigating something and questioning a student that who's in trouble, then yeah, I want to know everything that's going on. Not only now I want to know things that are going to happen months from now, days from now. That's how you get ahead of the situation. That's why I don't get caught off guard. Um, there's a whole aspect of building trust that we just don't know because um, they, they're not interested in telling us about that, that I could go into. But it's, it's, it's very, yes, I did it. And it's actually a very huge part of the job of doing it because you need to know what's going to happen before it happens. Okay. Especially I, I, in this day and age, I, with all the, with all, a, with all the... As an administrator, I, was, I wanted to get that, you know... Your, yeah, your, yeah, your, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can break, yeah. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, give up everything. Give it all up. I want to know everything. I want to know it all. So, we go to Forrester and Landsman. Uh, so, uh, they give uh so Kima gets switched to the Braddock case and um they're discussing they're discussing of course they they're discussing that uh Forrester Forrester tells Lansman about about the fact that Kima's gonna get switched to the Brad case. Of course Lansman is not you know he's not pleased by it but he is you know he follows orders uh from that standpoint he has no choice. Um mm. but even in this, even in this case for him, this is a bit much. And he's normally a guy who, who follows orders without hesitation. But he, he, t- from his body language, he didn't, he didn't like this uh, particular, uh, didn't seem to like this particular order uh, that was given out. Um, what were your thoughts on this quick scene? Yep, the narr is the wire is a narrative, and we can never forget that one thing happens the wire holds on to it, right? Like this is not a, this is not a sitcom where one thing happens and then we, it, it resets the next episode. Like there's no resetting. Landsman has already done what he's done. He's shown his, his hand. Right. Um, he was the one who uh, gave up the information to Carcetti. And so what I'm saying is it's not that Landsman isn't like displeased by how things are happening, but his intentions are not pure. No, no, not um, at all. 
No, he's no. not going. He's not going to be the one to stand on the table and go, "No, this isn't right." No, the way he's going to handle no. it is feed feed off the information and and try to get. That's the reason he asked about Rawls. He's like, "Did Rawls?" Because his loyalty is to Rawls, to Rawls, not yes. to um, not to Royce, um, in particular. So he didn't want to do anything to Rawls. Not to mention, we already anyways. Let me not even do that. Um, but uh, but so Landsman's very complicit in all of this. Like very complicit. There is no, there's no da 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 or whatever. Because if Walls was giving that order, he'd be fine with it. That that's that's my essential point. Um, there is no um, morality that is lingering with Landsman. Yeah. This would be an opportunity for him to make another move. Um, and that that's 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 just and like I said, like again, it would be set up because it is not giving us anything new on the character's personality. We've always known that Landsman is this type of person. So um, this is just expounding on, on, on that. Um, Landsman's the snitch in um, the police department for both Rawls and Carcetti. Yes. If we want to go snitch, if we want to talk about Randy, then Laws, Rawls is definitely the um, the 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 yeah, snitch man. for Carcetti. You said Rawls or Land? You mean yes? You mean uh, Landman? I mean Rawls is the snitch. Rawls is a snitch as well. Yes, he got that. He got that whole crew. Yep. So we go to Colvin, and of course the academic. They are pitching their program to the superintendent. The superintendent just basically tells them, "Don't make a big fuss. Uh, big fuss with this." Uh, with this particular program, uh, mainly set up. You want to add anything to this? It's set up, and it's not very good set up, to be honest with you. I, I feel like they got like if if I'm if I'm going to, and I haven't done this a lot, and I won't do this a lot, but put on the you know this is my profession and everything like that hat. This is one of the ones where I'm just like, mm, there's a little bit more that goes into it than that than right. just a little bit of questions that they ask and like how the present how the program is presented and what they're what they're presenting and wanting to do functionally would not happen in the way that they they have set it up but that doesn't matter because again this is a television show and they're writing this to say something larger so it's stupid to get caught up in those those details because those details are not what the show is about. It's not a procedural on how to set up a program in the Baltimore school system. That's not what this show is trying to do. Right. Um, Signer, we go to Signer and Caroline. Uh, of course, they are the last of the old, or seemingly of the old guard at the, uh, of major crimes. They are wrapping up the last, you know, part of the, of the wire and, uh, and we see them, um, you know, turn off the machines, uh, pack up their things, and leave the office uh, as Marimo takes over. Uh, takes over, and now he, of course, Marimo, Rawls, and Marimo have completely accomplished what they. Well, Rawls in particular has accomplished what he set out to do when he hired, you know, Marimo to for this lieutenant lieutenant's position. I hired him for that position, but gave him that position of the new leader of the MCU, of the major crime unit. All of them are gone. And the major crime unit, as we know it, 
has completely uh, will not look the same for at least until uh, at least for the present future. Uh, what are your thoughts on on this scene? Yeah, it's. I mean, like it. This isn't set up. This is more of a acknowledgement and like a goodbye and just kind of like a hey, look at like just stop for a second and think about what's going on. Uh, this is what the show show is trying to do. And like for for us though, it's just like a um, the major crimes unit as it existed does not exist anymore. That's a big deal for for this show. Um, and so that in itself is kind of like a it's a um, it's a uh what's the word I'm trying to say like a a, a turn of events like a, a a quick turn of events what's that called oh, I can't think of the name um but um but like like this is this is a big deal this is a big deal because you would have thought the goal of the show would have been to build this called the wire to build this organization up and build the major crime unit up to this thing and that's that's kind of like the the big thing of the show, the, the the final, you know, the season finale, something like that, right? And so here we are, early parts of the fourth season, and it's like, nah, this thing is gone that we've been building up to. So that's kind of like a big deal. Um, and so I think they wanted to stop and acknowledge that at one point. And then I think the third thing, or the second thing is um, that, uh, that um, no, nah, I think that's it. That's all I want to say. I'm good. We had Leona Bunk, McNulty, and Freeman. They, of course, are discussing the destruction of the major crimes unit. Um, they uh, also go in, uh, go, you know, McNulty assist them in terms of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of going by Lex's mother, uh, you know, Lex's mother off a warrant with a warrant in regards to Lex, uh, Freeman, and Bunk. To take down a door. That's what. That's what I want to say. To take down a door. Uh, Freeman and Bunk go inside the place. Lex's mother. We know, of course. We know. We know, of course. Lex is dead, and then they find out that uh, she knows. They officially find out. Not officially, but basically, know, basically know that she knows that Lex is dead. She has candles set up to uh, around his picture around his picture kind of kind of like a you know memorial uh and then but she continues to say you know she doesn't know where he's at and freeman just basically comes out and says you know basically says it's your son dead or alive and she you know she says she doesn't know where he's at and then they uh leave um and then of course they offer uh they offer uh McDonty not off McNulty, but uh, ask McNulty to come out drinking with them uh, to pay for their drinks uh, at uh, at the uh, at, at this bar where McNulty basically says, "Yeah, maybe," and 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 drives away. So now we have a, we have a new partnership that was that is forming between Freeman and Bunk uh, uh, and Bunk this season. Um, what were your thoughts on this particular scene? Yeah, um, this is, I mean, it's set up and it's set up in the same thing. If we don't learn anything new about the characters, it's just adding on to that, like they're already established personalities. The big thing about this is, um, you know, what, what will be, what will be led into more Lex, but nobody, 
We know it's Lex, but we can't find the body. It's introducing that concept. Right. Prop Joe and Marlo. So as prop as we learned last episode, uh we found out last episode, Prop Joe or Prop Joe said they was gonna make another run at Marlo as far as uh trying to enlist him in the co-op. He does that, he goes to Marlo's pigeon coop. Uh, we know Marlo loves pigeons based on last season. Uh, last season, he's in you know Marlo's pigeon coop. Uh, he offers Marlo a number of reasons to join the co-op. Uh, then he mainly to uh, he says, "Hey, Marlo says, you know, what do I have to do to get that good dough?" And Marlo and Pop Joe says, "You know, we're looking for muscle to run out New Yorkers uh, to run these New Yorkers out of East Baltimore." Marlo's like, what the fuck I give about, what the fuck I care about East Baltimore? And, you know, Prop Joe says, hey, you know, it's, it's the co-op, you know, we do for each other. Uh, so basically, you know, Marlo turns him down, uh, says no one fucks with him. And Prop Joe, he basically cuts Prop Joe off at, at mid-sentence. Prop Joe says, well, maybe something unforeseen could happen then sticks his hand out and says, no one fucks with me. Um, again, this is Marlo. You know, Marlo right now is uh, in complete control as far as Western Baltimore. He has, uh, and I did, I forgot to mention it in the scene, the, the opening scene, like, he, you know, he goes to the store with, you know, and I, I, I know, I know he's a kingpin and all, but he went to that to that store after he left the poker game. He went to the store. He had no, he had no protection. He just walked to the store by himself with no protection. Uh, he says no, you know, nobody. We mentioned earlier in the episode, not earlier in this episode, but earlier in season one, not season one, excuse me, episode one of this season. No one's warring with us. Uh, so you know, Marlo is on top right now and with with really no rivals to even, you know, who are even threatening him per se. So he's, you know, basically figures, you know, what I, you know, I don't need, you know, what I need, what I need you for or the co-op for. Uh, and we'll see how this plays out. What were your thoughts on Prop Joe's interaction with Marlo? Um, it's mostly set up. I mean, it is set up. Uh, but um, you you get the it's set up. Let me let me just leave it there. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a major uh definitely a major uh, uh setup. Uh, we go to Royce, uh, Mayor Royce with his chief of staff. So Tony Gray is starting to cipher off votes. Uh, from Royce, he was at twenty percent. I thought that that's what the chief of staff said, something like twenty percent. And now you got. <laughs> he tries to uh the chief of staff says you need you know you need some uh you need a basically uh we got we got you these colors you need a change you need a, you need a jump or a punt you know you, you need some inspiration based not inspiration but he, he basically switches them to some uh uh some african colors and you know royce basically says you know what i'm be wearing a daishiki you have me wearing a daishiki next uh so then you know so we get the fact that uh, clearly Royce is, uh, you know, feeling, you know, starting to feel the heat, not only from Carcetti, but also from Tony Gray. And that, you know, Tony, and that Carcetti strategy of Royce 
of Tony Gray ciphering votes from Royce is working. Um, and Tony and Royce calls in, uh, talk, tells the chief of staff, well, chief of staff says, you need some more walking around money. And Royce says, tells him, you know, call another, call another game, another, uh, a game, another game, which we will find out to be, it will be another, uh, poker game to, uh, raise some, some more walking around money. Uh, Royce, you know, seemingly, seemingly is, you know, putting it in, in a vulnerable state right now, uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, now you named it. Um, it was about uh, letting us know that the strategy is working. So we get to uh, Carchetti and his staff. They're discussing uh, this meeting with the ministers. His staff seems his, his staff outside Norman seems to be against it. Terry D. Gaschino and the other lady seem to be against it, uh, but uh, I think uh, Norman was for it. The campaign manager was for it, uh, and, and Carcetti was for it. So Carcetti decides to go uh, decides to go meet with the ministers, and we'll see how that uh, how that plays out in a later scene. Uh, what were your thoughts? Um, set up. We go to we go to uh, Minetta Perkins and Marla Daniels uh, meeting with the community. Also, Delegate Watkins was there as well. So, this is a very poignant scene uh, from a standpoint. So, you have the community members. One community member stands up and brings up the fact that there's going to be a halfway house put around his neighborhood on his block, and Minetta Perkins. And he cl clearly he's you know annoyed by this, so Yunetta Perkins says not if I have anything to do with it, anything to say about it. So she's you know told she she backs him, she backs the community member, appeases you know appeases him. People start clapping, and then we see uh, Mara Daniels say, "Hey, you know these are our brothers and sisters too who need help, and and, and what have you." So we see that. And then we see, of course, Delegate Watkins notices that Royce's picture is on, uh, is with United Perkins, not with Barna Daniels. If you remember at the beginning of either, it was the beginning of the season or at the end of last season, he's, Royce made a promise to, to, to Watkins that say, he said that United Perkins has had her time. It's time for some fresh, fresh, fresh blood so he voice basically reneged on his promise about backing daniels instead of united perkins and he has he's backing united perkins so uh watkins is annoyed by that and that that will be a major major plot point uh moving forward um but i guess the part you know that that stood out about the scene was the fact that the you know the fact that the uh, about the halfway house and about her, you never is not wanting, you know, back in that community member in terms of not wanting to have a house on his on his block. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, it's establishing character, right? Like you named it with the Royce thing. Um, and then the second, the second piece is it's um, I mean, by establishing characters, differentiating why we should um, like uh, Daniels and why we shouldn't like Unetta Perkins. And so 
Um, also embedded in that scene with Delegate Watkins is not only him seeing that Royce didn't hold up his his end of the bargain, but also um, we get a sense that uh, Unetta Perkins isn't genuine and that uh, Marla Daniels is genuine. Yes. So we go to Royce in the poker game. Uh, this is the game that he was talking about. Uh, that he told his chief of staff to uh, set up. Of course, they you have a bunch of politicians of people around him that are losing purposely on purpose, and they, they discuss how hard it is to lose on purpose, considering how bad of a player Royce is. So, you know, it gives us some more insight on how Royce moves uh, with this playing this game, uh, you know, with this no limit poker game, and they just, you know. They're not thrilled at all about having to lose, having to purposely having to lose to him, uh, dump games on him on purpose. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? There's a parallel. What? Go ahead. So yes, the poker game at Royce versus uh, Marlowe's poker game. So make make uh -huh. that make that connection. That's a that's a great pickup. Yeah, there's a, there's a there's a huge parallel. Um, there's a lot in this parallel. So um, here's 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 how I'll break it down just really quickly. The the simple the simple real quick um, is that uh, as he said, everything mirrors everything in this season. Um, there's no difference between politics and the drug game. They've made that clear. They've said it many many different times. It's another time in which they are illustrating illustrating that it's all crooked. Um, and that's why I say it, it needed to be stated that that everybody at that poker table with Marlo was a criminal. This wasn't doctors. This wasn't lawyers. No, no. This wasn't anything. Everybody there is a criminal. And by extension, same exact thing. Everybody that is there at that poker game is a criminal with Royce, no matter what their title is. So that's point number one. Number two is those complaints are disingenuous. This game is called to dump money into the campaign it's a legal it's an illegal that's illegal funds that's illegal extra money he's saying i'm calling a game to get walk around money for my campaign manager like what's happening is he's calling a game to get walk around money for his campaign manager he can't just call up and ask citizens for that that would be illegal and so the way to get around it is that you call up a quote unquote poker game and you lose on purpose so that people dump the money in. Everybody's in on it. That's the that's the thing. And in a big way, that's actually more disingenuous than what's going on as a criminal, the quote unquote criminal poker game, where at least they're actually trying to take each other's money. Right. So there's a lot to get into with this, and it will be teased out over the season. But it's a big time metaphor. Yeah, no, no question about it. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, we go to Bunk and Freeman. So they discuss the fallout after uh, of seeing uh, of uh, of going into Lex's mother's house. They both know that she knows that Lex's mother that Lex is dead. Um, Bunk uh, and Freeman chastises Bunk a little bit. But Bunk basically says, hey, that, you know, the, the memorial was not there the, the first time I saw it. The first time I went there, this is the second time that Bunk has been in that house. 
you remember the earlier interview, the other interview he had with her in a previous episode, maybe it was episode two, a couple of episodes ago. Um, so they're in the bar, uh, no McNulty, McNulty didn't show. Um, and you have Bunk now, you know, Bunk is drunk. Uh, so Bunk is, you know, Bunk on one hand is talking about girls, talk, you know, trying to flirt with some women across the bar. Uh, something that he frequently did with McNulty as his partner, uh, partner in crime, so to speak. Freeman is all about the case and discussing discussing Marlowe, still trying to figure out, you know, where these bodies are at or where he's hiding or, you know, how, how Marlowe is maneuvering. So, you know, Bump tries to get Freeman, you know, to kind of come with him with the girls. Freeman's like, look, you know, they're too young for me and too young and too skinny for that matter. He says, he says nature is nature. Uh, young is young, old is old, something to that extent. Uh, and then the girls walk past, you know, Freeman, uh, Bunk tries to flirt with him. And basically that is, you know, that particular scene. Um, what were your thoughts on, on, on this interaction with Freeman? Now, basically having to be, not the Newman Nolte, but Freeman, again, this partnership, so to speak, Freeman and, and, and Bunk. Well, I mean, the, the thing it is, I don't know, I mean, like they're partners um, in terms of their partners uh, on the case, and they're cool with each other. But also, Free- Freeman Freeman knows who he is. Like that, this not Bunk's not going to corrupt. Like, like it's not a thing that they're not on the same page in terms of after hours stuff because they never were, never have been. They're two different people in that aspect, and both of them are confident. At anyway, that that's neither here nor there. The big thing, of course, is the extension of. Um, Freeman's mind going in on, um, well, where like his move to homicide is important because that will be the connective tissue to everything that's going to go down. And so this is the first part of it was um, him just coming to the kind of realize realization. Wait, everybody knows Lex is dead, and that's being with the uh, that the continuation with the mom. Like, hold on everybody knows he's dead. Then where is like, if the mom is like, has a memorial up and is crying and everything, like this is well, this is well-known knowledge now. This is not just like something somebody's whispering. This is well-known knowledge. And so if it's well-known knowledge, why don't I know where the body is? Where's the body? Like this doesn't make any sense. And so now Freeman's mind is really starting to move on this. If we know, if they know, and that's what he was going back and forth. And so this scene the comedy is around Bunk and McNulty, but this scene is about Freeman's mind and where it's going. Yes, his wheels, his wheels are, are, are spinning, are beginning to spin uh, about this case. Um, go to Chris and Snoop. Uh, so Chris and Snoop are scooping out Michael. Uh, we mentioned earlier that, you know, Snoop, not Snoop, but Chris was asking about Michael from Bodie. So now they they watch Michael and 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 uh his little brother bug walk out the walk out their house uh Snoop immediately recognizes that if they make a strong run at him that he's definitely gettable she jumped on that uh with equipment she was able to recognize that 
quick, pretty quickly. Chris is like, all right. Chris is basically like, we'll see, you know, we'll see. Um, but you know, it's kind of like one of those things where I, I just, I, I, it jumped out to me how quickly she was like, look, we, we can get, we, we definitely can get him. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Set up. We go to Bunk, Kima, and Crutchfield. So they are at a crime scene, and Bunk tells Kima, "You need soft eyes at a crime scene." All right, of course, you know, that, that was uh, one of our episode episodic titles earlier this season, "Soft Eyes." Um, and you know, the hazing continues. They <laughs> so there's a dead body, and there's a note in the dead body that says, "Tater killed me." So Tater killed me. So uh, she, there's a, the note was planted by, of course, by uh, Bunk, and uh, she uh, she put she takes the note out of out. Of, she reads the note, and they can again the uh, rookie Hazen continues uh, for, uh, uh, to, uh, from uh, from the rest of the, the squad. Um, what were your thoughts on on, on this particular scene? Yeah, I mean, like there, there's a pattern to this, right? Like, and, and you're you're you, absolutely you right. Need two there's, there's, it's, you no, no, no. It's 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 framed in it's framed in hazing, but there's a pattern that is that's happening. And what what and they they said soft eyes in this one, and it's no, of course, no secret. Why it's no secret that they said soft eyes, being that the prior episode was named soft eyes, um, and so. That's your that's your big uh, hint that this hazing thing is not just about hazing chemo. It's about um, it, it's leading somewhere. Yes. Um, and so uh, and so the soft eyes and so then the soft eyes the illumination of what it's leading to. And so we know where this is about to end up at the end of this episode. What she's about to have dropped in her lap. And so what this is setting her up for is there are certain things you don't need to pay attention to. And then there will be other things that you do need to pay attention to. Yes. Yeah. It won't always be, it won't always be uh, easily seen. And as a matter of fact, it probably won't be easily seen. And the things that you definitely can dismiss are the things that are very obvious. Cause those are the traps that she's falling into right now. Whatever is like the obvious thing, she's going right to that. Oh, right, yeah. And that's what the lesson is happening. It's like the the thing that's blatantly obvious to you, that's that's what you want to have happen, and that is not what cases are about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she that yeah, you're absolutely right. She yeah, she she's been part of these, you know, these two um these two hazings, but she, yeah, it, it absolutely they they are sending a message using it through her with this, and she. And I they, mean, they, I mean, like the the show. Is, be, they, show I mean, the yes, characters. The show, not not the characters. characters. Yeah. Character, yes, the show. Yeah, the characters and, just playing each other. She she's going to be, you know, this. We'll see how this play, this is going to play out with her uh, particular character moving forward. Uh, we go to Cuddy, the school superintendent, and the principal. Um, Col not Cuddy, excuse me, Colvin. The uh, so Colvin, the academic, the superintendent, and the principal, they go over the paperwork for the program. Uh, the thing that stood out, the thing that stood out about this, of course, is they they had to sign a basically a waiver saying that if something happens to you, we are not responsible. So that that part, yeah, yeah. 
that part's gonna be stood out. The principal was like, uh, yeah, if one of one of these kids, you know, go buck, basically go ham on you. Uh, we are alleviated any responsibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, we are. Have you, so I'm, I'm sure you've been in some of those uh, meetings about with some like when a program. I mean, like, I mean, sure, sure, sure. All those meetings. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't you protect yourself? Yeah, yeah. The school. You're right. the ones coming in here proposing something yes. weird. So yeah. yeah, hell yeah. So they. Um, so they do they do that. And then we of course we see Cuddy uh and another another guy that's working with him pick up the kids off the corner now. So this so they pick up these they pick up these kids and the kids only have to go to school for they have to have a, a day in September, one day in September, one day in October, and they fulfilled their requirements so that the school will get will get funded. The fund the school will get funded with that kid only having one day. We see one of the kids say, I already already went already already went to school for my one day. Cuddy is was annoyed. No, Cuddy was uh hold on, not nah, yeah. No, sorry. So all right, so then I went ahead. Yeah, so we saw we see Cuddy uh and another guy pick up the kids from the corner or attempt to pick up the kids from the corner. One of, the, of course, Sherrod, Sherrod, who is uh, Bubbles' guy, Bubbles' boy, he runs away. Uh, and then we, we will see what this leads to. This, this actually wasn't the scene where Cuddy, where, where, um, where, where we found out about the one day. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in, in a further scene. But so this is the beginning of, uh, this is the beginning. So this is definitely a setup, a setup scene. Uh, we see Sherrod run away um, and we see them pick up uh, a couple of kids. Um, we go to Colvin and Samson. So Samson, of course, is the veteran teacher who, you know, in the previous episode had, had disarmed and slapped the girl with the knife. And the veteran teacher who obviously has, you know, has, has been there a while and, and, and has, you know, is, is um, very good at her, you know, is a great teacher. She's uh, walking Samson, walking Colvin through the school. Uh, kids immediately pick up on the fact that Colvin's a cop. Uh, and she discusses the the kids' moods moods by the days, which I found I was very curious on on that. I'm not wasn't arguing against it, but I just found it fascinating in terms of uh, how she broke that down. Um, and Colvin, you know, walks through the school. Then she lets him walk through by walk through by himself. She says, of course, because she says the kids would act different without without her. He needed to see. He needed to see uh, this on his own. And I, you know what? When I thought about this, I thought about he and Carcetti in the previous season when they were walking through Amsterdam. And I thought that uh, how similar that was to that to that scene. And when he when Carcetti, when he told Carcetti, you need to see the rest on your own. Uh, so now he's on the other side of it. And she basically says, you need to see this, the rest of this on your own. Uh, so he walks through the school. No, of course, the kids, you know, are wild. He also notices the various teaching styles. You have one black black lady teacher who's in complete control of her classroom. Kids are learning. Kids are excited. He's smiling at that. Then you had another white male teacher who basically reads a student for some for uh, not completing an assignment or getting a low or getting a low grade on an assignment. He says, you know, that's fifty percent, and you know, this is your future and, and what have you. So cut it. So Colvin 
is seeing the school, the uh, various styles of teaching in the school and seeing what the school is all, is, is all about. What were your thoughts on uh, the scene? Um, there, yeah, there, that, uh, that's a, a huge setup. Um, it's so yeah, there, there's, there's, I need an hour to talk about this scene, like no bullshit. Um, and so, so I, I won't, I won't even remotely, um, go into, to all the, the, all just that, just that little detail right there is an hour, is an hour worth of communication on that. And so let me, let me zoom, zoom back out and, and look at this from, um, the, per, the perspective of the, the television show and watch it and watch it as a viewer. And so, um, I think like the, the big thing that's happening here is, um, they're starting to give you a sense of what, what the program not is, but like a sense of a sense of it. Like, so f as far as we know, at this point in time, there's something about um, do some some academic do-gooders that want to do something, right? And so, like, we're starting to get little bits and pieces of details, and the kind of like the the walk around. I want to be really careful. Um, you're you're right. There is a parallel that's there, but the parallel isn't that the kids are addicts and drug addicts and are criminals and like all that stuff. Um, the parallel is um, that uh, COVID needs to get a sense of the environment so that he understands how to guide the process. Um, and so um, what has been said about schools is not the same thing as experiencing it. And so he needs to experience it in order to know the right way in which to go. And that is the right way to go about things. And that's what the show is trying to say, instead of coming in and running your mouths and coming in and saying things, i.e. politicians and everything, making promises, saying snap quick, uh, uh, making, making quick uh, assumptions and then quick solutions that um, in order to actually be a part of that, that solution, be a part of whatever, you have to come into the community, come into the organization, come in there, and then walk it by yourself to get a real sense of it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and like I said earlier, not earlier, but in the, in the previous season, uh, he, you know, again, allowed, 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 you know, told Carcetti, like, in order to, you know, fuck what you heard about Hampshire Dam and the rumors, you need to kind of see this, for what you need, you need to kind of see these parts on your own uh, to get a fair assessment uh, about about what's yeah. going on here. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Re really quickly, I do want to circle back to the teacher. Um, that was because you said you hadn't heard it described like that before. Um, what about it's, the, mood, the days? Uh, the yeah, stuff. about the days of the week. Right. It is damn near perfect. The only quibble that I have is about Friday. That would have been my only quibble with yeah, it. That one, yeah, that each Friday. district. No, each district, each community, the days might alter a little bit because he, he's not he's not talking like and of course many decades separate from the time that he's talking there. In my experience as an educator in DC, this is so so I'll be very specific. My experience about educate in DC, um 
Mondays are, are exactly as she said. Mondays are the worst. Um, Tuesdays are even worse, in my humble opinion. Um, and then Wednesdays, I, I, fine. I, I hear her about Wednesdays. I hear that, or I hear them about Wednesdays. That's fine as well. Um, Thursdays, I, that's where I would, uh, Thursdays are the absolute worst. Thursday's the worst day by, by, by no stretch of the imagination. And the reason I would argue on Fridays is because Friday, everybody at the very least is like the weekend is coming. I agree with them. I agree with the writer and the shows in my experience. Um, but when I say I agree with them, my experience, that's what I'm talking about. My experience is simpatico with, with, um, you know, the kids are miserable about Friday. Some kids are miserable about Friday coming because it means the weekend's here and it means insecurity and all the all the uh, danger, all the different things that might be going on in their homes or in their neighborhoods or whatever. <laughs> but the adults are just like, whatever, it's Friday. So that makes it real, that makes it real chill because they're not tripping over the stuff that they would normally trip over that the kids are doing. And so then the kids are like, eh. They're not tripping over it, so I'm not even going to do it that much today. Um, and so Fridays, in general, um, in my experience, are way chiller um, than any of the other days. Uh, but, man, yeah. And mon- Mondays, they're still groggy. So that's the only saving grace on Monday. It takes about half half of the day to get into the swing of things. Um yeah. We we both agree. But yeah, Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesdays and Thursdays are my days where I'm just like, this is the Tuesdays and Thursdays are the days. Yeah, those th- are the days. Third, yeah, Thursday for, yeah, Thursday is for whatever Thursday, reason. Thursday. Ever since I've been Bad. like, no, yeah. it's not for whatever reason. I know it's the, it's, no, it I mean, is we know for the reasons that are stated. Yeah, we know it's for we, the reasons that are stated, yes. and that's a, like, like Thursday. she, I mean, like, and, and like it really was, and that's why I wanted to highlight that, like, in terms of like things that ring true to me as somebody who's done jobs that are being presented in this season, that rang so, so, so true in every way that was described. And has rang true every every single from 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 the moment I've seen it. Yep. So we go to Cuddy. So Cuddy uh so I'm gonna definitely connect this with the previous, not previous scene, but the scene with picking up the kids. So he realizes that the kids only have to do one day, one day, uh, October day, one day a month, the October day and a September day for the school uh, to get their money. Uh, he's not happy about this. He says, school to school. And the dude says to him, hey, I'm trying to school you. Um, so he, the kids, you know, a couple. So the, the dude says to the other kids, "Hey, just just get your day over with now. Just get your one day over with now." So uh, so a couple kids come with him, and then the other one, the other dudes says, "I already did my day," and that's where Cuddy got Cuddy got annoyed uh, from that standpoint in terms of the system being that being what it was. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? It's an oversimplification, but I, it's just too, it's too much to go into. But yeah, you're, the big points that you're, you're hitting on are correct. Um, that's what the show wants to show, um, that, uh, Cuddy is frustrated with the, with the, with systems in general. Um, and this is another system he's frustrated with because it's not in the best interest of the people that it's supposed to be in the best interest of. 
So we go to Omar, Butchie, and Pop Joe. Uh, Omar and Pop Joe meet at Butchie's bar. Pop Joe, of course, clears the air about what transpired with Stringer and Muzon in the previous season. Says that basically says that Stringer uh, played him to played him, you know, you know, lied to him and played him as well. Um, and uh, Omar, he gives Omar a proposition as far as the high stakes poker game. High stakes poker game says you know he wants twenty five percent of the cut. Uh, lets Omar know that it's going to be some, you know, a lot of some big, some high rollers and a lot of money there. Uh, Omar, of course, warns him, says, you know, if this is, you know, if this is a, if this is a trick or a foul, I'm going to come back on you. I'm going to come back on you. Prop Joe says, you, you know, they, and he says this twice during the scene, twice during the scene, says, do you, do you know me to be a stupid man? So Prop Joe, we see Prop Joe, and then, you know, doing Prop Joe stuff. Uh, what is uh what were your thoughts on this scene? Nah, you named it. Prop Joe doing Prop Joe things. Um, we go to Mary Mo, Kirk, and Dozerman. So this is basically the new this is the new major crimes unit. Um Mary Mo, of course, leading the way. Kirk, the new sergeant, and Dozerman, of course, is the cop who got shot. In the previous season, uh, if you remember that, uh, that basically he basically basically you make a case that those men helped set off Amsterdam. It was, uh, it was him getting shot that led that took Colvin over the top, uh, and, and, and uh, really you know Amsterdam got up got up and running uh, after that after that particular incident and situation. But anyway, um. He, you know, he gives him the edict about make, making uh, major about the new major crimes, making street rips. Uh, Herc is pleased by it. Herc also in the scene asked, you know, where Kima and uh, Lester and you know, so and, you know, basically, uh, and, and uh, uh, Marimo explains to them that they're no the longer with the unit. And Marimo also kind of. Mm-hmm. Gives a gives a a subtle shot to her as far as how he became a sergeant, saying you must have been a great driver, making sergeant, uh, making sergeant um, driving around the mayor. Um, so yeah, we've gone. You look at this unit now, and what they were. I would equate it to Golden State with Durant, Curry, and Draymond, and Clay Thompson to what Golden State is right now. Uh, that's what Major Grimes is looking at, looking like right now as it compares to what they were in previous seasons, in particular season three, uh, when every when they had everybody. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? I was gonna say set up, but I don't even think it's set up. It's, it's an, it's, they're establishing. Everything you name, they're, they're just establishing that. So we go to Carcetti and Norman. They meet with the ministers. Uh, these are now Carcetti understands that the ministers are currently have allegiance to Royce, but he decides to meet with them anyway. Um, he just basically says he just wanted to see uh, get a face to face with them. Um, he, you know, they respect the fact that he showed up. Uh, and says he basically tells them that you know if I am elected, 
you know, my door will always be open to uh, to you, uh, to everybody in this room. And, uh, you know, she's, you know, again, the most important part of the most important part is the most important part of this scene was the fact that he showed the effort to uh, to meet with them. And they seem to be impressed with that, uh, despite the fact that it did not guarantee anything as far as the allegiance. Uh, as far as the allegiance or a deal being made, uh, what were your thoughts? I'm set up. We go to Landsman and Kima. Uh, Landsman tells Kima that she's the primary on the dead witness case, and which is the name of the case is the Brandon case. Uh, at first, she thinks that he's pulling her, you know, is it, it, setting her up for another haze, but uh, of course, this time he's, you know, Landsman's serious about about uh, about this um and just let you know just drops that on her that she's going to be the you know the new primary on the dead witness case now didn't mention this earlier but he said this to her he in a previous scene with kima and lasman he says that you won't be the primary on the case for at least a couple months and that was important to, to notice because he he is uh now the primary on the case and it certainly has not been a couple months so the show wanted to tell you what just want to tell you how things can work when 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 moves are made and, and strings are pulled uh what were your thoughts on this scene shut up uh we go to uh name and dookie randy and michael so they're walking home and they are discussing the kids that got snitched on. And Naaman, of course, is throwing his shadow boxing and, and, and basically you know, criticizing whoever snitched on the kid on the kids. Uh, we, of course, we all know who snitched on them. It was Randy. Randy, during this whole conversation, keeps his head down. And uh, as they are walking, as they are walking home, uh, what are your thoughts on this scene? Um. It's set up because it's just it's it's setting up a larger story as we know, and it's it's uh, it's um, it's giving uh, solidifying the personality details. I think the thing I'm debating back and forth in my head about what I want to say and how I want to say it is more. It sits with me more personally um, than than anything else, but. Here, here's how I frame it. Um, the genesis of this is not Randy snitching. The genesis of this is his fear of someone letting his foster mom know. Yes. That's, that's the big thing. And then where that comes from, where that fear comes from. Not saying it's a fear of her, but it's a fear of what happens. So. Randy, again, this is why I hate the word snitching again. Y'all don't know this. Um, I say this all the time to parents and kids and everybody else in between. I hate the word snitching because everything isn't snitching. As a matter of fact, very, very few things are snitching. In this example, um, the in this example, I mean, like the, the, the thing that I use, snitching is what somebody does with the intentional purpose of getting somebody in trouble. Like, I see you on the street. I know you've done something bad. Therefore, I'm going to snitch on you just to get you in trouble. Um, 
Randy did all of that out of a deep sense of fear. And that's different. It's right. Very, 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 very different. But we lob everything into snitching. Right. Um, and so we get to know this because we know Randy's situation and story, and they want us to know this. And so I just needed to illuminate that. But it's set up. Uh, so we get to we get more insight on the home life of uh, Michael. Uh, he takes Bug home, um, and we meet his mom. His mom is on the couch watching TV with a dude, uh, with 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 a guy um, that we don't know. Uh, Michael takes Bug inside, uh, you know, this makeshift, you know, kitchen. Sets him up with a with a juice and 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 uh, also gets him started on his homework, his math homework before he heads out. Uh, they walk when they walk in the house. She, his mom, who clearly is uh, you know clearly on drugs, uh, says that y'all learned something and says and says it says it twice loud. Did y'all learn something? What did y'all learn? Something? What did y'all learn? Or no, she asked, she asked the question, did y'all learn something? And you know, Michael responds the second time she asked, Yeah, and, and keeps it moving. So we got we get more insight. This was a this was a Michael episode as far as giving some more insight on on his home life and and and, and what you know kind of what he's about. Um what were your thoughts on this scene? But by extent, so yes. Absolutely. But then by extension, take a look at the home lives. Things are starting to add up. None of this is separation. Right. And that's why I was talking about adding Sherrod in. The boys are four separate boys, Sherrod five, but they're whole. All these stories, everything that is happening in this season is very, very much interconnected. And it's, yeah, we're getting a look at everybody's individual home life, but there are a lot of similarities. And the show wants you to pay attention to all those similarities because they play a major role in the direction of these kids' lives. Not only up to the point where we meet them, but when we meet them and where they what will happen to them going forward. Yes, yeah. So we've um, up until this point in the season, we we've seen everybody's home life, with the exception. Uh, well, we. Yeah, we. I think we've 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 seen everybody's uh, home life, um, or parts yeah. of it, the beginnings of it. I shouldn't say, yep. it, but the beginnings of it, we have seen everybody's um, uh, home life, uh, including Shiraz, up until this point. Um, with Michael being the final one, um, and we um, so we move on to uh, Prez Donnelly, the cop. And a cop. Uh, so they're at the school, and they, you have uh, Donnelly, Principal Don, Vice Principal Donnelly, describing the teacher. Uh, she, the girl, of course, who sliced the other girl. She grew up. Of course, she, we find out that she grew up in a group home, and she's going to be put back. Back. She's going to be put in a juvenile facility. Um. She tells. This is when she tells Prez that the kids are still processing. What transpired? Uh, you have the cop. You have the the, the officer there as well, uh, and and she says that uh, he says that the girl who got who's got her face cut will need at least two hundred stitches, a lot of nerve damage, and because her muscles don't move, are not moving the right way. 
so she's in for a lot of rehabilitation, uh, a lot of rehab from uh, in, term, in terms of surgeries and what have you. And the Donley, the vice principal says, well, at least the girl who got cut was not HIV positive. And I don't, I, like, I don't even think that Prez was even, nah, he, didn't, he didn't even, Prez didn't even, you know, wasn't even, that wasn't even on Prez's mind, trust me. Uh, Prez, Prez didn't even think about that. So that was the positive out of that, seemingly was a positive out of, out of that situation. But we learn again, we learn more about Letitia that she, this girl just basically didn't have a chance and that, you know, her life, you know, they, it was, we mentioned the home lives of the other kids. We can lump her in as well, even though she's a, uh, not a, as big of a character. Uh, but, you know, she was, she grew up in a group home. So, and they said, and also she was previously suspended for attacking some students as well. So she, you know, she's had, you know, this has been a pattern from a standpoint of, of in terms of her behavior. But the most important part of it is the fact that she had been in the system and grew up in the group home and, you know, and uh, will end up is, is going to be in a juvenile facility moving forward. Uh, what were your thoughts? And you wanted to make a connection with this, with, with a previous scene, with this scene. Yeah. So um, the vice principal, she says all of uh, like every like they're processing, they're still processing. Right. And so what I wanted to to make that connection with the scene of when the boys were in their lab, like they're like doing the mocking of the gun and everything like that. What, what that's coming from, that's coming from fear. And so what the vice principal is saying to them and saying, I mean, saying to Prez about the students is they don't functionally know how to talk about what, what happened. And so that's your cue that they're still processing. And so don't take it as, they're pretending like nothing's happened. That's actually the opposite of what they're doing. So I really respected them for for throwing that in there for people who really know how to do this thing. That was a nod. That was a nod to us. Um, the the big the big thing being um, this is and so yes, absolutely. They're going to talk about every kid's home life. They're going to talk about everybody's home life. And, and like I said. It, we have to stop thinking. We can't think of it as individual. Talking about Michael's home life, or Dookie's home life, or Randy's home life, or um, Rashad's home life, or Michael's home life, or the girls' home life. Whatever. None of that's the point. I mean, it's the point, but it's not the point. The big point is, if all these home lives look so so similar, why is that? That's number one. And then number two, what is the effect that's having? And then number three, if we agree one and two are not good things which most people do, what are we going to do about it? That's what the show's asking by pointing out what's going on with these kids. It's not to demonize them. It's not to demonize people of color, but it is to look at why people are in these circumstances and why all of this is happening. Um, and so um, if we go back to season one that started with the drug game and Avon Barksdale and all this stuff and talking about them and the kids and running and everything like that. If we believe drugs are bad, if we believe what happens when people in neighborhoods that are about drugs, the death and the crime and everything that comes with that, 
then the place to start dealing with that, i.e. what they're talking about with COVID, the place to start dealing with that is not by policing community. It's about doing something else. And that's what season four is starting to get at. And that's why all of this matters. Because we look at season four and we take it all the way back. Number one, the wire is turning the camera in on itself. It's being very introspective right now, which is I know. And anybody who wants to know about any of this, just look at the creators and the writers, all of them, and their words for this season and beyond is that it like this, this show, they did not want to be about drug dealers and drug moves and everything that comes with that and, and glamorizing all of that and everything like that. That's why they came up with this season to be the anti to all of that. It's not about that. It's about these kids' lives and what we could have done to stop them from becoming the Marlows, to stop them from becoming the Avons, to stop them from everything like that. Those are not things to achieve. That's actually a horrible place to be. Where Marlowe is right now is a horrible effing place to be. And the show is saying that and it wants to say that. And it's saying, if that's the horrible place to be, look at where our kids are. Can we do anything? Unfortunately for our boys, we will see how it shows up. But it's continuing to ask the question. Yeah, no, it wants wants you to explore that that question for yourself uh, without question. No two ways about it. Um, So we go to... Uh, Snoop and Chris. So Snoop and Chris. No, 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 no. Let me slow down. We go to we go to we go back to Cuddy with the kids. They they're in the gym. So Cuddy is training some kids, and he puts his arm around Michael's shoulder. Michael Michael moves his away quickly. Moves his away, and then Cuddy offers to take Michael and Justin to a fight. He was the resident, of course, Spider. And I want you to keep for my audience remember that name. Spider was supposed to go to the fight with him, but of course he's not around. And we will find out why Spider is not around. Uh so Michael fills in for Spider uh and decides to go because Justin went because Justin went too. If you notice a couple things in the scene, one, how quickly he moved away from Cuddy putting his arm on his shoulder, and two. Michael did not go, was not going to agree to go to the fight until he realized Justin was going to go as well. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, this is set up. Um, we go to Snoop and Chris. They had finished off killing the security guard, and the security guard becomes the latest victim that they were put in the vacant. And Snoop is, is a little frustrated because no one is, no one knows that they are killing people so she decides to keep a souvenir which is the security guard's badge chris says you know like chris is like yo i'm not keeping no dead i don't want no dead man's badge uh and you know and snoop tosses it away uh so we get we get we, we get a a a a uh a glimpse of snoop like marlo caring about the reputation about the reputation uh, in regards to uh, in regards to the reputation, so you know that uh, that kind of that stood out a little bit in that in this particular scene. Uh, 
What were your thoughts on this scene? Shout out. Uh, Bubbles and Sherrod. So Bubbles and Sherrod are back at uh, their place or, uh, the, you know, of course, the, the uh, shed. And Bubbles is telling a story about his childhood and how quickly his childhood went from, you know, ice cream and the ice cream, hearing the ice cream man into becoming, you know, what he is now in terms of with the drugs, uh, very just a uh, sad story, to be honest with you. There is, you know, there, it was hard to listen, you know, tough, that was, this was, that was a, it was a tough watch from that standpoint. And then we see Sherrod, Sherrod, excuse me, lying about, to Bubbles about his work. He has a dictionary with a math book and Bubbles knows what time it is. Bubbles knows that you clearly don't use a dictionary, you know, have a dictionary as a math book. With a math book, in terms of that contact, that 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 combination doesn't go together. So bubbles, you know, bubbles doesn't call him out on it, but bubbles knows that he's lying from that standpoint. Uh, without even knowing that the fact that Sherrod had had left school, I don't even think he knows that, but he knows that he's lying about doing the work and about those two books matching up. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? On this scene? Wait, really quick, real? Did you see? Look at your phone. Hold yeah, oh. this is and then like I'll talk about this scene really quick for for yeah for both. I mean it's mostly it's mostly set up, but um but yeah you you named it you named it. It's about um Bubs noticing that Sherrard can't um can't uh I mean what what he's noticing Sherrard can't read he doesn't know anything. Right. Um, and so then, then see, then that goes into the idea of social promotion and then like where our kids are at and everything like this and why Sherrod is dipping. Sherrod is dipping because he doesn't know anything. He like, he can't read. He can't read. So way before we start talking about why Sherrod isn't in school, he can't read. Yes. No. So anyway. Yeah. So. No, he can't read. He can't read. Um. We go to Omar and Marlo. Uh, well, so then uh, this this will be a setup. Cuddy and Michael go to the fight with Justin. That's so we'll set that'll be the last scene with the Cuddy Cuddy Michael and Justin. They have to they have to fight watching the fight. Then we go to a big scene. Omar and Marlo. Marlo. Uh, Omar robs Marlo's poker game as Marlo was was winning. Uh, was winning the game. Uh, says, you know, says money ain't got no owners, only spenders. He takes the ring and he takes Marlo's ring, the ring that Marlo, of course, took from old face Andre. So this is be this is the first encounter between Omar and Marlo. Uh, what are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I mean, like, and we we so like without going into like where this is going, here's what we already do now. We know that Pop Joe set this up. Yep. We know that Marlo's one type of way, and we know that Omar is another type of way. Um, and so um, we know that uh, the, I'm going to call them the commission, whatever they're called, the, the, um, the co-op um, is, uh, would like Marlo to be in on New York. They have stated so. Um, and we know that Marlo did not want to go in with the co-op. Right. Um, 
And so, and we know that Pop Joe set this up. So those are the facts. So we can see where this is going. Yes. And, you know, and we... Any reasonable person can, can kind of put together what's going on right now. Yep. Yes, this this was uh, uh this would be a major major uh this was a major setup scene as well, uh and you know and for of course first encounter between Marlo and uh Omar and um yeah it kind of bookended Omar not Omar but it kind of bookended Marlo really uh getting you know getting schooled in the, at the poker game not once, but twice from a standpoint of, of losing, you know, losing to the old heads. And then he loses to Omar, Omar, uh, at the end. Um, yep. final scene. Uh, so yeah, I like that book in from that standpoint, final scene, Cuddy, Michael, and Justin. So they watch the fights. Um, Michael, uh, Cuddy drops Justin off first. And then Michael notices that Cuddy, uh, and all Cuddy wasn't doing nothing wrong. He's watching Justin go inside his house, which you know, just from you from a safety precaution. So um, Michael does not want Cuddy to know. Clearly, does want want no Cuddy. But clearly, does not want Cuddy to know where he lives. So he jumps out the van and says, "Look, I'm good." Uh, Cuddy says, "I can take you to your house." And Michael says, "No, I'm good right here." And he uh, hides behind a, a a wall, not a wall, but a house to see until Cuddy drives off. Uh, and then he goes about his business and then the scene or the episode wraps up. So we clearly know that Michael is not trustworthy of, uh, we saw it with Marlo, we saw it with Cuddy, that he is not trustworthy of, of of males at this point uh what were your thoughts yeah i mean like you named it it's just it's it's given us again a certain certain reps at a personality trait and then like as the student viewers now it's our job to pay attention to when they're doing this repetitively with characters because if they're doing it repetitively with a character that means it means something big so each we've done four episodes. Each episode has ended off with one of the kids. Uh, yep. Yep. So each episode has ended off with one of the kids. Certainly not by accident. Um, we talked about themes with we talked about themes and and re- definitely remember that theme. Uh, you want it to be one way, but it's the other. That will resonate throughout the course of this season without question. Also, Michael and Marlo, we get some more insight. On Mike, or we got some more insight on both Michael and and, and Marlo. Uh, who's your MVP? Uh, so I thought about it, and so the, what I'm giving the MVP is to the writers. Um, like I really noticed it this episode how much each character had to say and how they had to say it. So my MVP goes to the writers. Yeah, I had, I had, yeah, this was a tough MVP episode as far as a uh, particular character stand, standing out. Um, I end up giving it to Michael. Um, who was your Chardine? Chardine, I was going to give to Marlo, but just kind of like in that that vein, 
It wasn't a particular scene. This was not a episode about scenes. Um, this was more about like a compilation of things and kind of like this is the first episode for me where Marlo was just ever present in the shadows. Uh, I give it to Marlo for the Marlo and the security guard scene. So that that scene, oh, nice. with the one the one way yeah. as the other. So I thought that was uh, yeah, I, I thought that was uh, uh, that stood out to me. Um, and again, will resonate throughout. Good. Resonate throughout the course of the season. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, uh, the Wire Remix Season Four, Episode Four. We are a quarter, well, more than a quarter way, a third of the way through it through the season. It's thirteen episodes. As always, uh, thanks to Robert Sat. Yes, sir. Uh, well, Have so- a good one. Be safe. Be healthy. Absolutely. Uh, And we will, of course, we'll see you next time for episode five, Alliances, uh, as we uh, continue to discuss uh, The Wire. Uh, This podcast will be up, as always, uh, this podcast will be up later on this evening. Um, As always, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel uh, and go to www.youtube.com slash c slash real deal podcast that's gonna wrap it up i will see you next time bye